Welcome back to Plant Power, the power of plants in a changing climate. I'm your host, Emma Wilson, the Fred and Virginia Houck Sustainability Intern at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. I'm here to guide you on a six episode journey through native plant topics and their connection with our changing climate through interviews with some of North Carolina's finest naturalists. Because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, we have made some changes to our podcast schedule and we'll be trying out some new recording strategies using remote recordings. So we thank you for your patience as we navigate through this crazy scenario. <laughs> One particularly emotional uh, moment for me was uh, when my two sons, when they were much younger, uh, climbed to the top of uh, a 70 foot tall bald cypress I had planted when I was in college. And you know, that was just incredible feeling um, to see that. Where do trees get their mass? Think about that question for a moment. When I was a first year student at UNC, I was in biology 101 with Dr. Hogan and she posed that same question to our class. A nerve wracking silence overwhelmed the 450 person lecture as students knocked their brains. There were answers like soil, nutrients, and water, but Dr. Hogan said nothing. She then showed us a video of an interviewer asking the same question to Harvard graduates, who answered similarly to my class. It wasn't the end of the class that we discovered the answer. Trees build their mass primarily from carbon. All organisms emit carbon dioxide, which trees need to build their mass. Trees produce oxygen, which humans need to breathe. The relationships between trees and humans is pretty amazing. Both the oxygen that trees produce and the carbon they sequester from the environment help to combat climate change. Keeping our forests healthy and resilient is key to a successful future, but our forests are facing threats such as deforestation, unpredictable weather events due to climate change, and the invasion of non-native plants. Talking with me today about this topic of land conservation and the need for trees is the North Carolina Botanical Gardens Director of Conservation, Dr. Johnny Randall. Johnny has been with the garden for 22 years and we have him to thank for starting the conservation department in the 90s. Welcome Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, how are you Emma? Doing good. So if you could start off by just explaining to us how trees help us in our changing climate, that would be great. Okay. Well, the question might be, how are trees not helping us in our changing climate? Um, you know, as you've already mentioned, trees suck up uh, carbon dioxide, sequester carbon, et cetera. Uh, but trees are also a big part of forest composition and structure, which means that they provide the matrix within which an entire ecosystem resides and functions. So biological diversity within a forest is comprised of um, besides trees, other plants, fungi, lichens, bacteria, and animals, uh, great and small. Great such as mammals and small such as invertebrates, some of which you can't even see without a microscope. So all of these species are carbon-based life, life forms that are themselves storing carbon along with the trees. Interesting. So can you explain a little why that biological diversity is so critical to the composition of our forests? Well, like in the above question, um, biodiversity is comprised of a multitude of species um, that for the most part are interdependent on one another. So forest dwelling organisms do not function as such without the forest. Uh, but let me quickly add, that uh, this is not only true for the forest ecosystem, 
there are many other ecosystems out there and they have their own unique species composition. So for example, uh, grassland ecosystems um, have very few trees, but um, are comprised of a multitude of species, um, herbs, as well as grasses um, that store carbon, mostly in their uh, below ground parts, uh, mostly roots that can go down uh, many, many feet. So even though you don't see trees or what you might perceive as carbon storing uh, organisms like large trees, um, all of this storage uh, is going on underground. So what is land conservation anyway? Hmm. Well, that is a very good question. Um, it has many different <clears throat> uh, levels. Uh, so most people think of land conservation as protecting some large tract of land that is you know, let's say old growth or pristine forest. Um, and that is of course really, really important. And we have some places like that within the state for sure. But it's important to recognize land conservation takes other forms like, um, like conserving, let's say old farmland that can be rehabilitated to um, contain um, a forest of trees and all the biological diversity that comes with that. But then also there's um, the protection of buffers around existing nature preserves um, that themselves can house a lot of biological diversity. So there's many different aspects of land conservation and it's all important. You know, even if you think you have a, a degraded site um, uh, we and others um, do all kinds of um, habitat rehabilitation or restoration um, to bring it back up to a really functional biological ecosystem. Cool. And are some of those land conservation practices, can they be practiced on a smaller scale for people who want to do this at home with their property or something like buffers and stuff? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question uh, because I think that um, all um, homeowners, landowners, mm -hmm. uh, and even if you're a renter, um, I think it's important to uh, to do the best you can within your own landscape to uh, to replace uh, invasive plants with native ones that do support um, wild nature. And uh, you know, if you think about it. Um, you know, if you've provided one shrub or tree for a bird to nest in, you have, you have, you have made some positive change. Yeah. So Johnny, what would you say that the biggest threat to our trees is? I think most people think that harvesting for timber and things like that are, uh, you know, the biggest threat, but the timber industry right now is um, pretty much saturated with trees, uh, tree resources, mm -hmm. um, and is generally a sustainable business. Um, but the wood pellet industry is a whole thing um, outside of that, which is removing a tremendous acreage of trees uh, in the southeastern United States. And these are primarily going to uh, Europe um, for the replacement of coal in coal-fired plants there. So. Uh, if they were only using pine plantations for these wood pellets, that would be one thing, but mm -hmm. mature and biologically diverse forests are also being cut. And 
This is a very political uh, issue at present, and I suggest listeners investigate this on your own. If you're interested, uh, the Dogwood Alliance is a place to go um, for a start. So outside of outright clearing of trees for wood pellets and, uh, and development, etc., probably um, one of the biggest factors, and it's kind of a hidden factor, is invasive pests and pathogens. Um, many of these coming from other locations around the world. Um, they're a tremendous threat. So for example, um, I mean, I'll just use things that are happening right here in North Carolina. Um, so laurel wilt disease, it came in through the port of Charleston about 12 years ago in shipping pallets that contained an ambrosia beetle. The beetle escaped um, and it attacks plants in the laurel family, uh, the Laraceae. Um, that includes red bay and sassafras and spice bush mm -hmm. and some very rare plants like um, pond spice and pond berry. Um, but it's actually a fungus that the beetle cultivates that is the problem with the plants, not the beetle itself. Um, but other examples um, within North Carolina and across the whole eastern United States are chestnut blight, Dutch elm disease, dogwood anthracnose, hemlock and uh, balsam woolly adelgid, butternut canker, gypsy moth, emerald ash borer. Mm -hmm. I mean, this list goes on and on. So these pest pathogens, some have been here for a long time, for a century or more, like chestnut blight. But things like the emerald ash borer is a fairly recent introduction that is killing virtually all the ash trees in the eastern United States. Wow. Um, and you, I know you mentioned some resources that listeners can go to for in regards to deforestation, but is there anything that listeners can do about the invasives and pests that are impacting our forests? Yeah, I would go to um, the North Carolina State um, Department of Forestry webpage. Um, okay. They have a whole thing on um, pests of, of forest, uh, forest trees. Um, but I just wanted to mention another threat. Um, as uh, Dr. Damon Waite mentioned in, I believe it was the first episode, mm -hmm. is the whole idea of plant blindness. Uh, so people are generally not blind to large trees, um, but are often um, not aware of the importance of younger trees or the understory and saplings and such. So the just the general overall diversity of tree species within a forest and so there's this old saying, uh, people don't see uh, the forest for the trees, but I think should be changed that people don't see forest diversity for the trees. Um, you know, trees are for sure the outward expression of a forest um, that oftentimes um, hides that um, overall biodiversity within. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, and I wanted to point out too that, you know, on our own botanical garden natural areas, we have so many different uh, tree species, species it's, uh, it's amazing. So like 18 species of oaks, four species of maples, five species of hickories, um, and probably uh, well over 50 species of trees in general, um, you know, in our, in our own nature preserves. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, could you talk about what's being done locally to conserve land here in the Triangle and maybe go on to talk about what's being done on a more global scale or just like a wider scale? Mm -hmm. So we are lucky to live in a community where um, conservation is 
um, important, um, and a lot of resources are um, are given to that. So it's a real prime directive for many local groups, like the North Carolina Plant Conservation Program, which is in the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, um, the Nature Conservancy, North Carolina Natural Heritage Program, Triangle Land Conservancy, um, and our own. Uh, botanical garden, both um, the university element of our garden um, and our North Carolina Botanical Garden Foundation, our um, our support organization that's also a land trust. So, um, and then we even have a fund within the state, um, Clean Water Management Trust Fund, that also helps with conservation of land. But um, these are state monies that um, it's a granting program, but um, you apply for these monies that go for land conservation within the state and millions and millions of dollars are available every year for that. So it's a, a great yeah. mechanism. That's awesome. Um, if a listener wanted to get involved with that, um, whether it be in North Carolina or elsewhere, what would you recommend? What steps would you recommend them going through? Uh, I think that um, getting in touch with us um, at the Botanical Garden, we can direct them um, to the right group given their own special interest. So for instance, if they wanted to preserve a section of their land uh, that was forested, you know, let's say hopefully a large section, um, and if it was fairly local, then we would um, consider holding, let's say a conservation easement or a donation of that land add to our nature preserve system. But if it was outside of our area, we would recommend one of the other um, many land trusts that are in the state or even um, some of the nonprofit or non-government uh, organizations like the Nature Conservancy. Um, but I want to point out one more thing that's, I think, really important, and that's something that has just rolled out um, uh, this past year. And it was a project that was um, administered through our North Carolina Botanical Garden Foundation is this landscape plan for wildlife connectivity. Um, and you can find a copy of this report on the, our uh, NCBG website. But it shows where this whole project was about identifying where existing nature preserves occur um, and designing the corridors that link these nature preserves with one another. Um, so, and most of the linkages among these um, nature preserves um, are biologically, biologically rich forests. Um, and uh, so we're trying to get this rolled out so that um, all of the local governments and, and others can look at this and use it as a guide to um, to direct their development ordinances and other um, ways of protecting these corridors. Because without corridors linking nature preserves, each of these nature preserves becomes an island. Mm -hmm. And once it becomes an island, it will degrade um, in biological diversity. Um, cool. What can listeners do at home regardless of where they live? Uh, one of my favorite sayings is an old Chinese proverb uh, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The <laughs> next best time is today. So if you have room, uh, plant trees or encourage your friends and neighbors who do have room to plant trees. Um, that's one of the, that's becoming more and more um, apparent as, as a, 
um, as a remedy to um, global climate change is planting more trees. It's one of the things that we can do out of many. Um, but we have a, for those who are local, um, check out our list of recommended uh, native trees and shrubs on the Botanical Gardens webpage under the, the plants tab. Um, so it gives you a good idea of what is appropriate and, and all the multitude of species that are available um, in our area. But, um, but I just want to point out too that this is something that is a, can be a very personal thing as well. So I, there, I'm from North Carolina and I've lived in uh, different areas of the state and um, I actually make visits to trees that I planted years ago just to stop and visit with them. Um, and some are now over 40 years old and 80 feet tall and wow. uh, one particularly emotional uh, moment for me was um, when my two sons, when they were much younger, uh, climbed to the top of uh, a 70 foot tall bald cypress I had planted when I was in college. And, you know, that was just incredible feeling um, to see that. Mm -hmm. So um, in general, you know, listeners um, who are elsewhere can do, they can uh, contact their local um, botanical garden or uh, the closest botanical garden to them and uh, find out what trees are appropriate for their area, native trees in particular. Mm -hmm. um, listeners can ensure that existing trees on their property are cared for and protected um, from root damage so that they aren't in inadvertently killed. Um, and um, learn to identify the trees around you. That's a great um, opportunity, again, for people who are, are uh, sheltering at home right now is to go out and learn those trees. There are all kinds of uh, resources for tree ID and, uh, and have uh, people learn the diversity that's around them tree-wise. Well, lastly, if you could tell us about um, just one fascinating thing about trees that perhaps the majority of people don't know, that'd be great. <laughs> okay, well, um, where do I start? <laughs> uh, uh, one thing, so I used to teach um, for 10 years mm -hmm. um, as a biology professor. And one thing that I would, in fact, these are the kinds of things I would tell my uh, botany and ecology classes. Um, um, and for instance, a large tree can transpire over 50 gallons of water wow. in one day. Mm -hmm. um, so you can imagine how much an entire forest of hundreds or thousands of acres um, can contribute in one day and that doesn't just that's not just water that goes up and evaporate well it does evaporate but it turns into clouds yeah. um, and it can change local weather patterns it can slow down the the heat island effect in an area so that, that um, global warming um, is mitigated um, so oak trees are really important for um, supporting butterfly and moth caterpillars. So on oak trees alone, over 50 different species of moths and butterflies um, combined um, use them as a host plant. Wow. Um, and, you know, although listeners might not consciously consider this, but the presence of trees eases stress. So, and this is, of course, particularly important right now with uh, many of us sheltering at home as we are doing right now. Um, so 
go out to a nature preserve, uh, stretch your legs and reconnect uh, with nature, of course, by keeping a safe distance from other people. But uh, <laughs> that's really uh, important, you know, get out of the house. And uh, this is an opportunity to, to relax, you know, and take some time for yourself um, out in the wild with trees. Um, and studies, um, more and more studies are coming out um, showing how trees planted in public, public spaces, even shopping malls and along roadsides, um, you know, it's really calming to our nerves. And um, my wife who works in highway traffic safety uh, does research on a lot of these things and uh, that having trees along roadways does um, prevent or at least um, help um, um, prevent road rage. Mm -hmm. So that people are calmer when they're driving along a, a treed area rather than one that's devoid of trees. So, um, but also um, I recommend that listeners who are, you know, all pinned up at home, explore online resources on trees mm -hmm. and lots that can be uh, found on the internet. Awesome. Well, that's also just a perfect segue into our next episode for listeners that want to tune in and we'll be talking about nature's healing, but thank you so much for all that fantastic information and I hope you have a good day and stay safe and healthy. <laughs> okay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Planet Power. Dr. Johnny Randall provided us with some really integral information on land conservation and our changing climate. If you are interested in learning more, continue listening with us over the next few weeks and check out our website for more resources at ncbg.unc.edu slash plant power. Next time, we will explore the topic of nature's healing with Dr. Leslie Montana, a mental health specialist from the University of North Carolina's Counseling and Psychological Services. We will explore programs that use nature to heal and learn about ecotherapy. Tune in next time to hear more on that topic. With us today, we had Dr. Johnny Randall, the Director of Conservation from the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This episode was produced by Jana Starr with music brought to you by Terry Bockland. This podcast is made possible by the North Carolina Botanical Garden. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. I'm Emma Wilson, and this is Plant Power.